Hey, it's Mike again, and our Lion King week rolls on. Today, this is a very special interview. This guy was so much fun to talk to. This is Tony Bancroft. He animated Pumbaa on The Lion King. In this interview, he talks about his early days working in the fishbowl at Disney MGM Studios. He talks about the scene in The Lion King that he most wishes he could do over. And he gives his opinion on Seth Rogen as Pumbaa in the latest 2019 incarnation. So with that, let's roll it. Here's my interview with Tony Bancroft. You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome to Disney One by One. Today on the show, we have a very special interview. But first, remember, you can check out this show everywhere on the internet at Disney One X One. And if you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we would love that. And we'll read them here on the show. And joining me now, he's worked on everything from Rescuers Down Under to Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin to Hunchback, Emperor's New Groove. He directed Mulan casually. But uh, this is Lion King week, so we're here to talk about Lion King. And he's the animator on Pumbaa. Supervising animator Tony Bancroft, welcome to Disney One by One. Hey, thanks. Good to be here, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun having you. I'm excited to dive into Lion King on our special Lion King week. Mm, me too. I, I love me some Lion King. So okay. So I'm not. I don't want to go back to like your birth, but what was your earliest <laughs> Disney memory as a child growing up? I think it's you know it, it's probably Great Mouse Detective. I want to say maybe a little bit of. I kind of remember seeing um, um, Fox and the Hound maybe when I was real small in the theater, but I don't remember the movie that much. I saw it later on when I was at CalArts and studying animation and fell in love with it. But I remember seeing Great Mouse Detective for sure because by then I was totally in animation and I was just like really kind of studying it and I loved that film. When you were growing up younger than that, were you like watching Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and uh, Peter Pan and Robin Hood and movies like that? Yeah, I'm sure I did. I mean, it was it was definitely before the you know the VHS era where all the kids were being babysat basically by all the Disney films. So I would have only seen it if it was like in a re-release or something like that. I think my mom took us to a couple of them, but yeah, to me, animation was always this mysterious art form that you. I figured you had to be a rocket scientist. There was some higher math involved. I didn't know how quite how they did that, how they made those drawings move. I knew that there was like separate drawings put together would create the movement but I could not figure it out when I was a kid and so I was into comics I was into comic strips and comics because they were still drawings yeah that's interesting I forget that I mean I was I was born in 87 so I always had VHS tapes and stuff most yeah. of my life I forget that those are probably hard to track down <laughs> yeah I mean yeah you, you only when I was young you only saw Disney films if they were in the theaters and how often were those coming out and how often did they show the old ones they would sometimes do a re-release or a special you know special re-release of something here and there but i don't i didn't even remember seeing or i don't remember where i would have seen some of those early disney films i guess i did though so you went to cal arts like everyone else that worked at disney right <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> california is to the arts in valencia california uh, my my twin brother and i tom bancroft is also an animator worked at disney we both went to uh cal arts um could only afford a year and a half, though. We never got a degree, got a job instead. And it was a, I think it was a, a decent job, at least one you were probably hoping for. Yeah, straight straight out of school uh, into Disney. We were we got we were hired for an internship for the Disney MGM Studios uh, in Orlando, Florida. So, yeah, we jumped at it. And how long were you at MGM? Uh, I was only there for I was there for a year, and then 
I really wanted to animate. There wasn't that many opportunities for promotion at a small studio like that. So um, a, a job opening opened up back in Burbank, you know, and I'm from here. I'm from Southern California. I had a girlfriend that I was dating long distance that I started dating before I went to Florida. So there was a lot of things kind of pulling me back, including this career opportunity. So I came back and then worked here for another three, four years before I got the directing gig on Mulan, which brought me back to Florida. <laughs> we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that later. What was it like working in the, what do they call it? The fishbowl at MGM? Yeah, in the theme yeah park? we did. Yeah, we did. We, we called it the fishbowl and we also talked about um, all the, the, we called them tourists. I guess they were guests of the park. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all the, all the, the tourists that were walking by uh, this glass, we had glass walls basically. As the tour would pass through, they would, they'd go by your desk and then, you know, go from story to animation to clean up to ink and paint and see the whole process at a glance as they walk through this tour. And to us, we always called them, uh, you know, moving wallpaper because that's what they, that's what those guests, those people, they were like these, just every 15 minutes, there would be a new batch of 20 or 30 people that would be watching you as they walk by, you know, and they would just cycle through all day long. So it's not like we had a relationship with the audience that was watching us. They were really just moving wallpaper. That's interesting. I always wondered what it was like from the other side. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And yet there are artists that, that grew up on the other side of the glass that came all the time for the tour and remember sitting there like all day long. They didn't go with their parents on all the rides. They just sat there and watched the artists draw because they loved it so much. And a lot of them later on became animators for Disney or ended up on the other side of the glass. Yeah, that's really neat. And I think uh, Mushu ended up being the one of the, the characters in the that animation. Uh, what was that? The thing where you learned how to draw, and that was your brother's yeah. character, yeah? Yeah, yeah. The, they have like these faux animators that are like, you know, <laughs> at the at the end of the tour, there's a there's an animation desk, and there's somebody there. Hey, everybody. Glad you can join us. Sit down around me. We're going to draw Mushu today. I'm an animator for Disney. And they never were. They were always right. like tour guys that could draw, you know, and... Actually, most of those people wanted to be on the other side of the glass so badly. So, you know, we felt for them, but they were they tended to be people that were just trained to draw just Mushu or whatever character it was out there for the tourists. I think now that that's now a Star Wars launch bay. They're, Is they're, it? They've made, they've made way for, for bigger yeah. and better things, I suppose. But that was always a really fun aspect of that park. Yeah progress um so you had a number of different roles on these movies the ones i rattled off at the beginning and i'm curious what more specifically what some of these are you were an in-betweener like a animating assistant a cleanup lead i, I, I yeah. know there's at least a number of different roles in the hierarchy of animation what are some of those uh, i mean yeah i mean that is something weird about the animation industry is that there's all these different titles and sometimes uh, they they mean similar things. Sometimes they're totally opposite, even though they sound similar. So, uh, well, an in-betweener is somebody that draws all the in-between. It's the, kind of the most junior job that you can get. The very first job you can get as you join uh, animation is usually an in-betweener for traditional animation. And it was the person that would do all the in-between drawings between two keys that were done by the animator. So the animator would rough out a scene Say it's Glenn Keane doing the Beast or something like that, and it was like his arm is, uh, you know, uh, back in an anticipation pose. That's one key, and then the Beast is striking the door, you know, pounding on the door for Bell to come out. And so the next key is his fist hitting the door, and we would be the ones that would do the three to five drawings probably 
in between those two key drawings. And it would have to look similar, but we'd have the guide of those two keys to go by. And then, then we'd take it to the animator and they'd say, oh, this isn't quite right. Maybe try this right. You know, I'd rather hold that fist back a little bit longer before it reaches the door. So that'll give a different timing texture. So it was a great way to um, kind of learn the trade, get into it, and also train at the same time with a senior animator. So I love being an in-betweener, and then also there's rough in-betweener, which works directly with the animator doing the first pass of the rough animation. But then like animating assistant, uh, there's an assistant animator that's on the cleanup side, and then there's an animating assistant, which means you're actually animating, but you're doing kind of junior scenes. So you're like, for me, I was an animating assistant on uh, Beauty and the Beast, and it, it meant that I got like a lot of booger animation. That's what I call <laughs> like scenes where where Cogsworth and the clock, or I'm, or I'm animating the objects in Beauty and the Beast, and they're like the size of a booger on the screen. Right. And they were like really small. So that wouldn't be done by Glenn Keane or any of the supervising animators, which is a, a higher position level in animation. So it really is, it's all titles that have to do with kind of your rank and the, the ladder of production. And as you go up, you become ultimately a supervising animator. And then the only thing higher than that uh, is the next thing is director, really, of the whole film. And your first supervising animator role was on Pumbaa. So we'll get into some Lion King. Yeah, that was. <laughs> that was my first. And it was my first because, um, and, and I understand you talked to Rob Minkoff and Roger Allers were the directors of those guys, of, of the Lion King, the original Lion King. Yeah. We're talking to OG Lion King here today, right? Yes, we are. Okay, so... Um, Rob and Roger didn't really, they were first time directors. They didn't know a lot of the animators, uh, some of the, especially some of the junior animators. And at that time, and I'm sure you've probably heard this story, but for the audience, at that time, the, the studio was changing and growing dramatically and very fast. And they had two films for the first time. Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, guess what, guys? If we can make this much money with one film, we can make twice as much with two films. <laughs> it was like he struck a genius, somehow just hit Jeffrey Katzenberg. And so he's like, we're going to have two films in production. And instead of having the same one crew going from, you know, film to film to film, which is how it always was. Now, all of a sudden we split the staff and we and and all the really most of the senior people went to Pocahontas. That was the other film. Mm -hmm. And that was ahead of Lion King. So they had done more story development and it was on a route to come out first. And so they gave the attention to Pocahontas and Lion King, this new original concept not based on a book or a story. So there was like eh, a lot of story meetings about what is this thing and how are we going to fix this thing? And this thing's a mess. That got all the junior staff. So myself, I was, I wanted to be a supervising animator, but I thought it would take me another five years. Well, when they split the staff like that, all of a sudden there was these great opportunities that opened up for us junior animators. And, and that's when Rob and Roger were like, okay, we need all these first time people, but we don't know their work that well. So we had to put together a reel, basically. We had to put together a VHS tape. <laughs> that was when we started using those. Yep. And I literally had to cut together like all the scenes that I had done on Rescuers Down Under and Beauty and the Beast and as many things I could show that I could do it. And then I submitted that to the directors and I put a note on there. Hey guys, uh, you know, this is Tony. I'd, I, I had just come off of doing Aladdin with uh, Will Finn was my supervising animator um, on Beauty and the Rescuers, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. So I was doing all the characters that he did. Kind of, I was his junior, secondhand man. 
and he had just uh, been the supervisor on Yago, the parrot. And so I did all these Yago scenes and had that on my reel. And I said, well, you know, I hear there's a bird in The Lion King. I think it's Zazu. Zazu, yeah. You know, I just came off of Yago, so, um, you know, I could do birds, you know, so consider me for that, please. <laughs> So I thought, you know, maybe I could squeak in as a supervised, first time supervising animator by getting Zazu because I had just done Yago. I thought, okay, well, maybe they'll see the similarities and blah, blah, blah. Well, what I didn't consider is that they would consider me for Pumbaa because we had already seen one screen, early, early screen, and most of the stuff was crap in the movie <laughs> at that early screen. They always are. It's like a like a pimply young um, teenager, and that's the stage that it was at. You know, it had not matured and or it was like the ugly duckling that hadn't turned into the swan yet. So um, it was it was undergoing a lot of changes and, and wasn't very good. But the thing that did resonate were these two characters, Timon and Pumbaa, that had just been added and they were brand new. And I think it even had Ernie Isabella uh, doing the voice of Pumbaa in that early reel and Nathan Lane as Timon. So we were hearing their chemistry and big laughs, loved him, but I couldn't even dream at that point that I would be considered for Pumbaa or Timon. And it went to myself and Mike Surrey, my, my best friend, who we had worked, we had shared rooms on Beauty and the Beast. He did Lumiere, I did Cogsworth. We were junior animators together on those characters, but he did Lumiere and I did Cogsworth. We shared a room together. We had a lot of scenes together already. We were like Puma and Timon in the <laughs> studio. We really were. We were like, I was the big fat guy and that was fluctuating all the time. And Mike was the, the funny wise guy. So. We, were, we already had that role. And I think that in some regards, the directors knew that. They knew we were buddies and they knew we were friends. And that's why they ultimately, I think, gave us that opportunity. Yeah, that's great. Huge. And you had worked with Rob on the Roger Rabbit short, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And it was actually, I mean, that's another thing. I, I give Rob, uh, Rob Minkoff a lot of credit for my career, including co-directing Disney's Mulan later on. But this opportunity on Lion King, I think, came out of the fact that I had told him I was like an in-betweener, cleanup in-betweener on Roller Coaster Rabbit, which was Rob Minkoff's very first uh, directorial debut short, a little short uh, Roger Rabbit film that nobody saw because it came out with uh, Dick Tracy, oh, wow. which nobody, still nobody knows what that is. <laughs> well, it's on YouTube. I watched the Roller Coaster thing yesterday. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. And it's a great short. I yeah, mean, if, you, if you've watched Roller Coaster Rabbit, I think it is one of the better Roger Rabbit shorts. So Rob directed that. One night uh, I was working late and I was doing animation tests because I wanted to be considered for animation. And there was a big animation. And Rob came by my desk and we were just small talking and stuff, but he kind of turned to me and said, well, what do you what do you ultimately want to do? I know you want to animate and uh, that's great, but you know, what do you ultimately want to do here at Disney? And, and I said, you know, I, I want to do what you're, you do, Rob. I want to direct one day. And I just put it out there. Well, five years later, fast forward five years, uh, after The Lion King, and I worked with him on that, he was walking out to the garage, the parking garage with Tom Schumacher, then the executive uh, in charge of development. And Tom asked Rob, who do you, we got this movie Mulan. Um, we can't find a second director for it. Who Just throw out a weird, crazy name, you know? Just give me <laughs> out of the, off the cuff kind of idea. And he's like, I, I know Tony Bancroft really wants to direct. I think he could do it. And it was that that started the ball churning for me to become director. That's awesome. You're talking about a guy like like Mike Surrey. When you are working on one character like Pumbaa and he's working on a character like Timon and there's other people working on Simba, and how do you get that all to work together? 
what's the what, what's the trick to yeah to getting all those characters on on in one frame together it's it's really choreography um it's one of the reasons that in cg animation they don't cast animators on characters so much they tend to give you like all the characters in the scene and you might only do that one scene and then somebody else yeah. even though there's tight tight continuity somebody else might animate the next scene but in in 2d animation at that time period directors were casting us not unlike how you would uh, a director would cast a live action actor you're the main character. You're the villain. You're the the sweetheart or the love interest. You're the comedy guy, and I was always typecast as the comedy guy. So was Mike <laughs> Suri too. So that was a great pairing for us. But then on top of it, if you had a scene that had Pumbaa and Timon and maybe even Simba in it, and it would usually get split three ways, especially if it was kind of if it was like well Timon is unconscious on the ground because the hyenas were about to eat him or, or the vultures were about to pick yeah. his brains out then and maybe it's just a still drawing and okay Tony you can do the still drawing of Simba because you're kind of carrying the action with Puma's dialogue or whatever um, but for the most part we would we would split it up and it would it would be a matter of like first planning it out I always like to do what I call little thumbnail drawings which is like they're as big as your thumbnail. That's why you call them, call them that. But just little drawings <laughs> on a piece of paper of in sequence that kind of shows this is my planning for the scene. And he's going to start here. He's going to do this. He's got to say his line here. He'll hit this pose, blah, blah, blah. And then I share that with Mike. And I say, this is kind of what I'm thinking for Pumbaa. And then Mike will start really oh, adding in, oh, okay. And I can have Timon maybe crawl down his nose here. and Or maybe he's pulling on his horns or pulling on his hair and you know we're trying to think of well how can we get as much interaction as possible between these two because that, that re audiences really react to like physical pantomime kind of moments where two characters are are touching or connected yeah. in some way that really adds to it and we wanted it to make the ultimate goal of all of us animators to make it look like one animator animated this entire film you know which is not possible whatsoever but that's the kind of goal. It's got to be as consistent and rich as possible. Anyway, so I would usually start first because Puma was kind of the, the landing gear or the landing field, I should say, or the, the set that Timon occupied because he was always on his head or on his nose or something like that. And he's the bigger shape. And so I would usually lead and then hand it off to Mike. So it could take me like a week and a half, two weeks, maybe three weeks to do my part, rough it out, give it to Mike. He would put in Timon on top on a separate layer, a new piece of paper. And then it could take him another week, two weeks. He passes it back to me. I got to do refinements now and make those connection points really work. Um, chart it, give it back to Mike. He's got to do the same, kind of make his final refi refinements most likely. And then it's often approved and and during that process we're showing it to robin roger and getting the director's approval on it and they might have changes so there's a lot of back and forth and some of those scenes in lion king are really um a lot of choreography to try and figure out a lot of animators got a hold of them yeah no that's that's really interesting and this is just pencil drawings yeah you're not coloring anything just the no, very basic rough yeah rough pencil drawings it still has to go to clean up another drawing gets put over our rough drawings they're refined kind of put on model as they say and and refined even more and got and then those those are the drawings that are scanned ultimately and colored by another department wow so did you get to reference ernie sabella's performance at all did you have footage of him performing the character or were you just going off his voice and acting yourself to figure it out uh, we had a lot of things, actually. Um, yes, we had video. Um, I got videotapes of all the recording sessions. I was actually at most all the recording sessions as supervi supervising animators 
the directors usually would invite us um, to the recording session. We could do sketches and things like that. Plus, we had a camera there that would record kind of their facial actions and stuff as they're saying the lines. Uh, you get a little bit of stuff from that, but mostly it's kind of what is the overall persona that I'm trying to capture here. And and watching Ernie uh, was great. We also, on top of it, uh, just out of our own desire, Mike Surrey and I um, took a little plane trip. And Nathan Lane, at the t- at the time that they were recording Lion King, Nathan Lane and Ernie Zabella were on Broadway together in a show, a, a new version of uh, Guys and Dolls. And they were both playing these two gangsters. And they had a lot of you know, uh, not screen time, but, um, you know, um, theater time, stage stage time time where they were, there you go, where they're together on stage. And so we got tickets from those guys. We already uh, had met them by this point. They invited us backstage. We met a bunch of people. I even bought an Al Hirschfeld, if you know who he is, caricature print of guys and dolls that had them in it. And they, and I remember Ernie helped me take it around to the whole cast and got it signed by everybody in the cast. (laughs) And, we spent the weekend together, you know, with those two guys, uh, mostly Ernie. Uh, Nathan was quite busy at the time. We had dinner with them and kind of toured around New York a little bit that weekend. Just Mike Surrey and I and uh, Nathan Lane. We had, uh, I mean, uh, Ernie Isabella and Nathan Lane. So seeing them on the stage, though, was very helpful, too, seeing them play out the parts. Even though they were totally different parts, you can kind of see, you know, their physical style. Um, and, and that kind of got into all of our animation, too. The design of Pumbaa, did you, were you the main influence on that? Did the directors have a lot of input or how did, how did the look of that character ultimately come, come into place? Well, being a, a new supervised animator and, and yes, the supervised animator makes the final kind of the final design, the final model sheets were all my drawings and stuff like that. There was visual development artists that come in first um, and that kind of take a crack at you know, well, maybe they can look like this. Maybe they can look like that. So there was that done already. And then storyboard artists have a big influence. I remember uh, Rob and Roger telling me, oh, look at Barry Johnson's storyboards. I like how they handle his snout here or something like that. Yeah. So storyboard artists have an influence before the animator gets a hold of them. And then ultimately we, we start playing with it. And we went through like six months of design process and all the characters. But that was we were also doing a lot of research. Uh, you know, the directors said they wanted it to be the of the of like a Bambi level of understanding of animal anatomy and that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, that was a lot of pressure <laughs> being compared to Bambi. And we're like, it's Bambi in the Serengeti. Okay, boy. Yeah, no pressure there. And so we we did a lot of like trips to the zoo and uh, animal study and tried to infuse those into the designs. And then ultimately, uh, Tony Facilli, who was one of the supervising animators, he did Mufasa. He's a great, uh, very seasoned designer. And they really loved his drawings. So he did a pass ultimately on all the characters as just kind of an inspiration pass. It wasn't like these are the final designs. Ultimately, they came from all of us individual supervisors. But he did do kind of just trying to bring them all together. He, he did something on all of the characters. And uh, all that stuff was hugely impactful, but a, a long process to get there. Somehow all comes together in the end. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even mention, but of course, all along the way, you're showing the directors. So like every maybe two weeks, three weeks, we're having a big meeting together where we put up all of our drawings, all the supervising animators from all the characters, put them up on the wall, and then we talk about them. And the directors point out things they like, don't like, or whatever. And then it's back to the drawing board, making refinements, making refinements. So it's a big process. Is there one scene that sticks out as the most challenging from Lion King? Well, I mean, and this is the way it goes too for animators oftentimes. 
is that oftentimes you'll the first sequence you don't have any control of how things come through the production pipeline and so oftentimes the first sequence that'll get approved in production might have your character's like meatiest or funniest dialogue <laughs> and you always hate i always hated doing uh, those great scenes up front because I, i'm still struggling with drawing the character even um and i know uh, you know i'm going to be looking at this forever like the audience is but i'm more sensitive to it than anybody so one of the very first sequences to get put into production of Puma and Timon is uh, where they're looking up at the stars, you know, and and Timon's commenting about how he thinks the stars are fireflies, fireflies. They got stuck on that bluish, blackish gray thing. Yeah. And and then he cuts to Pumbaa and he says, "Oh, gee, I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away." <laughs> and that always got a laugh. Yeah. Even in the storyboards, you know, there's something about how Ernie says that, the timing of, of that sequence. That was always a big laugh. And I had this pressure in me of like, you got to pull it oh, off. Gosh, yeah. I hope that's not one of the first. Yeah. How am I going to do this? And I still look at it from this. I'm proud of the scene. It still gets a laugh. I didn't lose the laugh. That's good. Um, because as an animator, that's the worst possible thing you can do is lose a laugh that was working in storyboards. You always want to make it better. That's our, that's our job as animators is plus it, make it better. But I still look at it and think I could redraw that now and make it look a hundred times better. I just, <laughs> there's, there's some about the drawings. I was still trying to figure out his tusks and how they moved. And he's got a really long snout and he's kind of, his head's going back and forth. And oftentimes the tusks are covering his eyes from the angle that I chose. Yeah. So I still look at that one and say, needs work. I know you all, you never quite finish. You just run out of time. That's always what it is. <laughs> it really is. At what point do you get to see the movie with all the sound design and the music and you just like watching for the first time in the theater or do you get special screenings or how does that work? Yeah, there's always a cast and crew screening, you know, for a big film like a Disney film, there's always going to be a rap party, which is a cast and crew screening. You might get invited to the big premiere like in with the red carpet and stuff, but usually they give that over to, you know, the actors that came in for two weeks and recorded <laughs> something. We only worked on it for four years, but the actors came in and did something for two weeks or so over a duration of four years. So they're the celebrities. But yeah, so they would walk the red carpet and get the big premiere, but we would always have a cast and crew screening and we'd get to see it up front. And there was lots of booze and drinking and, and, and fun sure. food. So it was fun. But yeah, that's the first time we see it all. But it's still like maybe two weeks before it releases to the audience. When did you first realize that Lion King had become... The Lion King. <laughs> um, you know, I got the first whiff that Lion King was going to be unique or special compared to the other Disney films that we were doing when the trailer released. I don't know if you remember that. but They were just released the opening sequence, yeah. It was just that opening sequence. That was the trailer. They had never done anything like that before. It was always clips. It was always like cut up pieces. And then there was this voiceover guy that was like, Coming from Walt Disney Studios, the 36th animated feature, <laughs> The Lion King. And it's the story of a young lion, Simba, who, no, and, and it would tell you the whole story. And, and people got sick and tired of that. Yep. But just to tease the audience like they did and show that opening sequence that was a song, Circle of Life. And then when it ended, I remember being in the theater because I did not see the trailer beforehand. But I remember being in the theater when it ended and you just, it, it does the whole circle of life. You know, Rafiki holds up the newborn king and all of a sudden it ends with boom. There's like boom and it hits the title. People got up out of their seats. I'd never seen this before in my life. 
applauded a trailer and some of them gave it a standing ovation. They were so excited about it. And before that, also the other thing that also added to the momentum of The Lion King was that we were on a like more of a winter uh, Christmas time kind of schedule before that. And then this was the first time they had tried like the new idea of an event movie for the summer was The Lion King. That was the first like big summer release. And so they waited and held Lion King for a good year and a half from the time the last one, uh, which was Aladdin. Aladdin came out a good year and a half before Lion King dropped. So there was this anticipation. People were starting to get into these Disney features, and then they had to wait a year and a half for this next one. And this next one looked really special. All of a sudden, people just reacted to it, and they ate it up like nobody nobody ever expected. <laughs> Apparently, the story goes Hans Zimmer ended the music like that because he didn't have any other good ideas. He just <laughs> added a drum hit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so iconic now. I'm sure that's how it was. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. How many things are just like spur of the moment of like, well, uh, let's just try this, you know, and, and it just happens. So we have a new version of Lion King now in 2019. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> I assume you've seen it. I have, yeah. Um, were you consulted at all for it or n- not a phone call? No. No? You no, sound bitter. Not, not one, <laughs> not one. Um, you know, I, I, I will say to that is that I don't expect uh, us past animators and directors and story people my hope is always that if they're going to make a remake that they make it new and original so i don't know why you'd want to why a new director on this project whatever it is would want to go back and they should show some reverence i think to the original material but i feel like they should be looking for new and unique ways of presenting the material so i guess i don't i don't feel bitter about not being called that's for sure so you've seen it what was your your favorite change that that john favreau did in the new version how about that Ooh, oh, that's a good way to go at it. Let's, let's think positive first. <laughs> I like Seth Rogen as Pumbaa. Yeah. I do. I, I thought he was fun. And actually, that's probably my highest highest compliment, uh, just to get ahead of myself here for the new Lion King, is that Puma and Timon, I think, were great scene stillers, like I remember them being in the original Lion King. And to me, that they consistently had the feeling I think they did in the original. Now... The negative to that is that they didn't they weren't as expressive as they were in the original yeah I, and that's my one of my bigger criticisms is that John Favreau went so hyper realistic with the the CG in it that it downplays any kind of emotional connection that the audience can have with these animals because they just sure they just don't seem to visually be emoting anything you know in, in a real acting way so uh, but I you know I like the voices and I think Seth Rogan makes a good Pumbaa. He can't sing though. Oh, <laughs> that song, that song. I, I thought Billy Eichner did a really good job as Timon. He did. He did. Yeah. But I thought, you know, Seth Rogen has got that kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of silly big guy, goofy big guy kind of thing down pretty well. So I get why he was cast. And then while I have you, there's a new Mulan trailer out. So you, you, all your, all your movies are getting remade. What do you think about that? <laughs> I know, for it was Aladdin, I mean, like in a row yeah. now. I mean, Aladdin and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. I worked on all those. Um, you know what? I'm very hopeful. Uh, and I did a big post about this online because, you know, this is one of the questions that everybody asks. Yeah. Me, the directors, they always get asked, like, what do you think of the new thing? And um, like I said before, I, I'm hopeful for Mulan because the trailer came out 
And when it dropped, I was actually walking into church. I was going to, uh, it was like Sunday morning and I got a ping on my phone. And as I was like walking in late for church, I get a ping that says, you know, trailer just dropped for new Mulan trailer. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't just not watch it for the next two hours or something or whatever it is. So <laughs> I had to stop, become a little bit later by, by watching this on my phone. And so it was very small, not a great environment for hearing it either, but I just... I just had to watch, and and I was very encouraged by it. It brought back a flood of memories for me because I remember all the research we did, and we watched some of the live action Mulan movies. We we looked at studied Chinese paintings and and tapestries and things like that. And it 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 I remembered all that. It all kind of came flooding back. The origins of what we started, what we researched, and what we did to make the Mulan that we made came back. So it felt very reminiscent, very respectful. And I like that, I'm probably the only one that can say this, but I'm, I like the fact that it didn't have Mushu and some of the songs, and or actually any of the songs present except for in the score. And I'm hoping that she, she Nikki Caro, the director, continues to take it in a new and unique way. Yeah, I want it to be a new version of Disney's Mulan. And I say Disney's Mulan because I think I want it to be reminiscent. I think the audience deserves that and and expects it to be at least reminiscent of Disney's Mulan, the original animated one. But Mulan as a character and as a person has a 2000 year folktale history in in mainland China. And there's been a lot of iterations of who she is and the kind of warrior she was and the kind of person she was. So there's a lot of latitude there for exploring her character and the stories that you can tell with her. So why not? Yeah, and I think I feel like the better or more interesting Disney live action remakes have been uh, Cinderella. I didn't mind Dumbo, at least because they're trying something different. Right, Maleficent too. I mean, look at that's probably the the most polar um, opposite of some of these remakes that are happening right now. But it's one of the, my favorites because it it and, and it's not because I I think the story is perfect or I love it a hundred percent, but I love what they were trying to do. Let's make the villain. Let's see the film through the villain's eyes, the story of Sleeping Beauty and all that, and and make the villain the hero. Uh, what that's really unique, you know. So I love where they went with that. Yeah, well, as long as we get like a a orchestral version of Make a Man Out of You somewhere in the new in, in the new Mulan, <laughs> yeah. we just need a nod to it. We didn't get the slow piano version in the trailer like they do with all those trailers, but uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get it. We'll get it somewhere. Um, so yeah, nowadays you're teaching at Azusa Pacific, correct? In California? Yeah, Azusa P- Pacific University. It's out here in Azusa of all places in California. And it's like 20 minutes over the hill from Hollywood. And that's a, uh, Christian college. And I know you also started, a you had Tenacious Studios for a while making some faith-based projects. And I think your brother worked on VeggieTales. Is that right? Yeah. 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 We've both <laughs> been Christians for most of our life. And so, we felt strongly that you know God had given us certain talents and abilities and experiences to try and endeavor to create more entertainment in the Christian market seemed some seemed kind of obvious for us. So yeah, we've definitely dabbled in those markets while also doing you know mainstream stuff. Sure. Too. How do you kind of uh, look at being a Christian in the pop culture industry in the in the movie world? Were there any challenges kind of working through the ranks of Disney and also like uh, having faith and, and being a Christian? No, I mean, you know, it, it's actually harder to talk about being a Republican in, in, in L.A. <laughs> than it is about your faith, I think, in a yeah. lot of ways. But but also, I, you know, we're in animation, so I'm not challenged on a day-to-day basis with, 
you know, curse words in the content or a lot of nudity and violence in the films that we make and stuff like that. So I felt like for being a Christian, uh, animation was the perfect place to be because it, it represents itself as, you know, family values. Now, these days, family values have changed a lot, in, um, but also in the Christian world, but, also, but especially in the secular world outside of faith. Um, but I, you know, I felt like the, the stories that we told, the good moral values that they had really um, stood with my feelings about what the Bible says to um, and how to be with each other. So I don't know, you, know, you always have Christians that are like, even when I was working at Disney and doing Lion King, like, oh, how can you work on Pumbaa and Timon? Those guys are gay, right? <laughs> I'm like, no, they're, but you know, they hear things and jump to conclusions and people are always going to do that. Um, but my, my thing I always, I always rest on and go back, you know, go back to is why wouldn't you want Christians working in the entertainment industry? To me, there's a lot of different mission fields out there where Christians should be. And I think Hollywood is definitely one of them. So yeah, you just gotta have good integrity and be a, a person of good faith, but you need that if you're working at Xerox or Google or anywhere else. Xerox, is that still around? <laughs> Boy, I just dated myself. Well, I mean, I know the Xerox process was an animation form back in the day at Disney, so. It was, that's probably the only thing you've heard about it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, just to wrap up, I'd love to hear what your, your favorite Disney animated films are, maybe three or four besides ones that you've worked on. Oh, okay. Um, I, I usually go to Lady and the Tramp as being one of my all-time favorite classic Disney films. Um, I love it from an animation standpoint. It's all animals, very animal-like behavior, but also a lot of anthropomorphized actions and acting and stuff with facial stuff and dialogue. Love that. Peter Pan is definitely up there too. And um, Great Mouse Detective. Uh, well, see, and I'm keeping it all very Disney for you because you're a Disney podcast. <laughs> but I will say that um, one of my all-time favorites is also Brad Bird's Incredibles oh, yeah. from Pixar. Yeah, that's close the, enough. The Incredibles, yeah. My favorite's Toy Story, but it's not on the, it's oh, not on the list. Oh, Toy Story. Sorry. Uh, I, like to, I like Toy yeah. Story a lot, but I'm a, I grew up with comic books. Do so. you like The Three Caballeros? That's another one of my favorites. It's a deep cut. Oh, you know, I, I do. I think it's just a little <laughs> bizarre. For, I, like, I like following a more, you know... Uh, uh, more of a larger story narrative so and that doesn't have that understandable just, but from a from an animation standpoint ward kimball's some of his best stuff is in there yeah and there's a lot of mary blair mixed in there too oh yeah there's a lot of great stuff in that milk call uh yeah didn't he do the llama one yeah, yeah. i think the llama was in salutas amigos those they're kind of go together oh. salutas amigos and three characters yeah. yeah i love all that old stuff it's fascinating so, yeah. uh, all right, what else are you up to now? Well, besides um, uh, working over at APU and I'm running the new animation program. So it's a four-year degree program. So if anybody wants to check it out. I also have a podcast that I do with my twin brother, Tom Bancroft, who also worked at Disney. He did Mooshu. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, which will be cut out of the live action one, but was in the original. <laughs> and we do a podcast called the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. It's on iTunes and Spotify and all that, just like this one. So go check that out. I'm on Instagram as Pumbaa Guy. You can follow me there. And we also have a Bancroft Brothers Facebook page, too, that I recommend people checking out if you have time. Uh, I'm also executive producing uh, animated features, co-directing one for China right now, uh, co-directing mostly because I can't do it full-time because of school, and animating on Cupheads, the, the, uh, the, the animated uh, game, too. And I, I guess I, I keep saying Cupheads, plural. It's really just 
one Cuphead. <laughs> all right, well, so, Cuphead. encourage everyone to check all that stuff out. And remember, you can find this show all over the internet at Disney1x1. And please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read it here on the show. Tomorrow, we wrap up our Lion King week with an interview with Rob Minkoff. We've mentioned him a couple times today. He is the co-director of The Lion King. And I'll be releasing that interview tomorrow. And of course, Wednesday, we'll be back with Pocahontas. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today and, and, and telling us how a, a warthog changed your life. <laughs> for some people, you know, pigs can mean the world to you. I, ca- I call him Mr. Pig, by the way. <laughs> That's right. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. <laughs>